0: More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This podcast is
0: powered by SportString, your digital water cooler.
1: What's up everybody welcome back to attention to detail the podcast this is going to be the first one that i have back in probably really months and months um and i got a great guest with me today joel smith um most people listening to sports performance podcasts in the space will know who you are but just in general give a little intro who you are what you've done with the podcast and other in the training general philosophies really any way that you would like to introduce yourself
0: Sure. Uh, yeah. So if this is being a little bit more of a basketball podcast, I, I'll introduce myself with that frame of mind. Usually I, I give my cool. strength and conditioning or track and field intro. Uh, but I was a uh, basketball was probably my first sport that as at least after age 12 that I really fell in love with. Um, grew up wanting to dunk like that was that first. It, it's kind of like you think of what sport has a, a thing, a like a keystone thing like element that is so like noticeable, right? Like soccer, what, like is a bicycle kick? Like, or you know what, is there a move that you do? Like that's, it's like basketball. There's a hoop that's 10 foot. And for some, like I was always obsessed with touch to the rim dunking. And then that became, eventually that led into track and field because honestly, I wasn't as good of a basketball player with, and I, I didn't start early enough. and I didn't, I just practiced by myself all the time. It, I could go back into why I being physically, I gifted enough to play on a high level just didn't, just didn't have the skills for it. So I, I ended up doing track, got into strength and conditioning, track coaching through my 20s, uh, coached at Cal strength and conditioning in my uh, mid to early, early to mid 30s. I uh, run a podcast on sports performance um, and it's uh, just all, all elements. I, I try to really get into just different areas because I think digging into one area too far, especially in the strength world, is going to. In this world where we have so many different jobs and hats that people wear, it's just very easy to get buried. And so I've always bring it back to results and what actually happens when you play. Um, yeah, rubber dot justflysports.com, which I've had for a while. And it's been a, it's been a great journey so far. Right now, I'm in the private sector. I train people online. I train a few people in person. So a few days a week, I'm at the gym training people in person and then just working on content, reading, learning, training myself. Uh, so that's that's the the nutshell. Hopefully, the two to three minute story
1: there. Love it. Oh, that's perfect. So, like you mentioned, you you were a Hooper. You you still, I'm sure, hoop here and there. Who doesn't? Um, and one of the most interesting things I've heard is like you'll literally just have your swimmers or tennis players, track athletes, just go play basketball as a warm up. Um, talk a little bit about why just pick up basketball can be such a good warm up even when it's in other sports that obviously are not even on the same surface as basketball? Yeah, basketball, as long as
0: I've trained athletes for any, like a lot of people I train online are vertical jump. They want to jump higher. And usually they're basketball players. I found the ones who have the best success are ones who can play pickup basketball a few times a week. And partially because of just that explosive stimulus, but also because basketball, like you said, is an amazing warm up. And I've always tried to figure out what is it about. And I will say too, I've I've found that like sports like racquetball have offered similar things. Basically, it's like if there's really a high demand on quickness and reaction combined with power, so you yeah. have to have both. Um, you could just do power. You could just do plyometrics as a warm up, I guess. Like a like do a bunch of skips and jumps and box jumps and all that but it will not warm you up as well as basketball because there's no reactivity to it there's no quickness there's no aliveness to just apply a metric workout um and that's where i just think uh, uh, you could also say too the one thing basketball has that other sports do not is there's two if you know how to dribble a ball which some of my swimmers do not so we had to modify basketball games for that i mean they could but it was so bad it took away from the game <laughs> um so the dribbling is a tuning like you a lot of times the dribble happens and you know i'm sure you know this much better than me but the the dribbling is a tuning it's a beat it's a rhythm i think it's one of the few sports that has a natural like beat to it uh versus other things i'm sure there is obviously rhythm in other sports but not to the level that having a ball that's bouncing is so i think that's
1: powerful as well and i just think it has a lot to offer yeah no for sure i mean i think you hit the nail on the head but just the rhythm component is something that I don't think we talk about enough, even from like a, a skill standpoint. But some of my best performance training sessions have come after I implement a warm up with a ball in it, whether that be some some sort of small side of game. I'm like, hey, go play 21 or it's just kind of like I'm going to put on some music. You guys dribble to that music and kind of create that internal rhythm um, that just the aliveness of that, like you mentioned, is something that you just don't see when you got monotonous, not monotonous just kind of prescribed warm-ups um in a sense so i love how you talk about that and i think you know anything that that challenges us neurologically like that is going to be a pretty good warm-up when you combine it with the plyometric power like you were talking about um so one thing i've I've been wanting to ask you about um you hear it all the time that like hoopers are quote-unquote allergic to the weight room like they just inherently do not like it now there's definitely some truth to that. Um, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. But do you think there's anything inherent to the sport of basketball that causes that? Do you think that that's a complete myth in, in what you've seen? Or do you think there's like, hey, basketball athletes, for whatever reason, typically do not like being in the weight room for X reason? Is Do you have a an idea as to why that's a, a stereotype at least? Yeah, sure. No, I... That's a really good question. And I think because
0: if you are in the strength and conditioning industry, any athlete that doesn't like lifting and lifting heavy, it's like you have this thing against them. Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want to do this? Um, I'll zoom out a little bit because I, um, in my experiences with strength and conditioning, my obse- my experiences with basketball were more on the observational level, observing like a cow, watching the basketball team work out watching the different players lift and watching their mentalities, talking to the strength coaches there at Cal and having conversations about that. And so that's, that would be part of where I'm going to take this question, but I've worked with tennis, uh, which is a very skill finesse oriented sport. Um, and then in the, in the realm of swimming, you have, you have a lot of different personalities I worked with and I'll just say this, as I've found, um, there was a few athletes that I've worked with in particular in my years who it's almost like I found there is an inverse in the sense of some of the most skilled, the most skilled tennis player I've worked with or one of the most skilled, one of the most skilled swimmers I worked with this guy who, um, I think he still has the American record in the 200 breaststroke. And he was always the guy that like, that guy just feels the water like on another level, like people who are so, um, just fine touch, if you will, they wanted to lift. But when I would watch them compared to other people, you could call them grinders, um, Like, and we all know that, you know, that like you could call it try hard in, in, in common terminology, we say it's the try hard or whatever. And I think it, and this is where too, like we live in a culture that's like hustle, grind, wake up at 5am, you know, just hit it harder. Like it's just overcome with, uh, overcome with force mentality. And what i found out of some of these athletes who are so good at skills, so good at self learning is they almost had this internal switch because everyone has to lift on the college. level. You cannot get out of it. You can't stand in the corner you can't get out of it. And and honestly, I think they, it did like lifting anyways, but I noticed that their limit where they, they would um, self-select lighter weights relative to the rest of the team. And I believe it's because their intuitive feeling was that if they were going heavier, it would mess with some of their abilities. And I'm not saying heavy lifting is, if you can lift heavy weights and make it look easy, that's the goal. If you lift heavy weights and you're like grinding, your face is always tensed up, that's where it can become a problem um one of the athletes that i would talk with the other the basketball strength coach at cal there was a guy who was like there was always a few walk-ons at cal it was a very academic school and there was one guy in particular who was like always in the gym always working out barely ever got to play and the strength coach would say oh man that, that guy's a coach's dream he's always in here trying to make himself better well he gets in the game and he's rushed and he's hurried and he, he's like frantic and how you train in the weight room is going to be a reflection of how you play. And so, again, I'm not saying don't lift heavy, but it's like if I'm watching people, are you cool? Are you collected? Do you feel like you're not in a hurry? Do you feel Do you look confident? Do you look like you're not trying to form an identity with lifting in the sense that some people who aren't as good, I've seen this in tennis, people who aren't playing as much, they'll say, you know, screw it. I'm just going to lift heavy. I'm just going to get swole. You know, like it becomes, a, it can become a patch, a cover for not being good at what you really need to be good at. And I, I've seen that. I've seen it. in swimming. I've seen it in all the sports that I've covered is people who, re- and now I have seen really good athletes who do want to really occasionally, like there are like, there's a certain type of athlete. I've seen it swimming, like, like the short sprinter type personality. They do like lifting heavy and getting fired up. It's who they are. But if you put them in a team sport where there's a lot of openness and skill, those, they honestly aren't going to be the best. So <laughs> I hope that answers the question. Maybe I took it a little different direction there.
1: Yeah, I mean, but what I was saying is when I get an athlete in the weight room and all you see is like tension in their face the entire time, it's straining, straining, grinding. And then you look on the court and the best or the most effortless ball handlers, jumpers are always looking kind of relaxed. It's like, all right, there's got to be some type of disconnect here to where if everything we do on the athleticism performance side of things is strain, 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 and everything on the court is effortless, then there's probably some reason why the effortless players aren't really in tune with the straining side of things. Um, so that's something that I've noticed about certain athletes where they look nonchalant, but it's, and they look lazy almost, but it's like, are they really lazy or is this just not kind of in tune with how they move, um, and how they are fine tuned. So, um, I think that's a really interesting point is that just like the sport isn't really um, in tune with a lot of the traditional strength and conditioning um, knowledge circling back to what we talked about from a warm up standpoint so obviously we're not gonna throw athletes into like actual basketball players and to just hey go play five on five pickup. I probably wouldn't be too much against it, but from a typical like skills trainer, performance trainer, most athletes wouldn't, they would want some sort of movement prep, some sort of ramp up to that. So for the actual basketball player, where you probably won't have them jumping straight into five on five, what do you think are the big pillars of a warm up um, for that basketball athlete? Sure.
0: And so for me, are you speaking from uh, like, if I am in the gym, like strength and conditioning session, or just thoughts on this actual skill session?
1: Let's go strength and conditioning.
0: Sure. Yeah. So if it's a strength session, usually what I'll do, and this would be pretty much for any sport is I like doing, um, I like starting with just general games. So it, I have a lot of things and Michael Zweifel is a coach. He's uh, runs a gym, BBA performance, has a book called the game book, like 2.0. Oh, it's so good. And it's just, it's sometimes it's good to do games where it has, it's a game, but it has nothing to do with your sport because a lot of people who've been playing for so long, almost forget what it's like. To just play and be a kid, and without all the pressures of what your game is. And granted, you should always be able to have joy in what you do. But it's it's interesting because I've seen groups of players who have been very pressured over, like they're pressured by their parents, and just everything is you know a they're always playing year round, and they just didn't get a chance to really be a kid and just play and just play sport for the sake of playing. And when you give those athletes games or other fun things, they're not as excited about it sometimes, which is crazy. It's crazy to say, how did you get there? But for me and the groups that I've worked with, one of my goals, uh, be it swim, be it tennis, swim is a big one, too. A lot of those swimmers have been doing the same sport. They've been staring at a black line at the bottom of the pool since they were nine, doing double days since they were 13, like which is just crazy. And a big thing that I wanted, it's like, look, I can only get you so good in the weight room here in the sense that you, know, you getting a little stronger is probably going to help you being a better stri- swimmer. You getting a lot stronger – probably not to be honest <laughs> sorry I, I wish I could but what I can give you is I can give you games and and fun and enjoyment and teach you that training is not just grinding and I think that's a big mistake that we think is like oh I'm going to train Oh, I'm going to go grind and I'm going to post it on Instagram and I'm going to show everyone how hard I'm working but at the end of the day I I mean. It, it, it's the same thing in life. Like if you, if you don't sleep much and you just grind, grind it out, grind it out, at some point you're going to burn out and you have to enjoy what you do. And so there's a balance. Like I, I, and I like Austin Yoakam's a bit on my podcast. and I like the way he, he, if you divide it up into thirds, it's like one third is an active, fun warmup with some sort of physical game-based challenge a community. And it's also an experience. Different games are a way that you can experience sport in a different way. And maybe we do things that you're not good at, you know, maybe we play soccer to warm up and, and Lee Taft is, he'll say, if you're not a soccer player, soccer is one of the best warmups. It's so basic. And so you can play soccer. And I get, there is an issue too, in the sense, if you're on the college level and you have high, you know, guys who are going to go to the NBA and stuff like that, it is, there is risk to that, but there's risk to everything in life too. There's risk to just being on the court, like playing, doing the same movements you've been doing your whole life. There's pretty big risk to that. And we see that with the NBA injuries and stuff. So anyways, Long story short is a lot of games I'll play, I, I do a lot of stuff based off uh, dowel rod work. So uh, I'll be swing a dowel rod around like over, under, or or dropping and catching dowel rods. Uh, we'll do different games where athletes are doing like keep away with tennis balls. So once someone's in the middle, there's keep away type stuff. I love roughhousing, rough, any sort of roughhousing game. And I'll usually do like levels. So basically like there's the least aggressive. So people who are a little more timid, like it's just like push hands or like, just different like basic push hands type stuff where there's nothing too crazy all the way to uh, like here's a circle, take a battle rope, make a circle and put your arms behind your back and try to hip check the other person out of the circle, stuff like that. So you can ramp all the way up to really aggressive. And that's important because a lot of people, I mean, especially I think with males, but females too, like a lot of people have this need to get an aggressive aggression out in a, in a controlled and safe and friendly way. And we miss that. Um, I think that's a big thing that we tend to miss. So I'll I'll do that. I like to do a lot of like box parkour things too, just set up random boxes and and jump over with your hands, your feet. I'll throw a ball at you. You have to dodge it. Um, Different forms of tag, you know, playing, and then games, of course, like if we can play soccer, like with tennis, we'd play basketball all the time. Something that's not your sport, like a medicine ball, volleyball. If we have enough space, we'll play a little medicine ball, volleyball or something like that. So just any game that just gets you going and that will warm you up so much better than anything else because it's just it's just fun and it's so much more engaging. And then the last thing I'll say is sometimes I'll do a warm-up based on rhythm as well. I'll put music on and I'll just say, all right, find the beat and whatever exercise we're doing, you have to you have to do that you have to find that beat in what you do so just always pairing it with an intention always it's never just an exercise and i think that's really important once you start to train like that where it's not just an exercise at least at least in the warm up you w- you don't want to go back like to go back to just basic movement prep or i'd do some clamshells and some shoulder taps and you don't want to go back to that you just see how kind of futile that is and yeah. that's something that's one of the biggest things that i've learned from a lot of really good mentors
1: no 100 percent. so out of that was the first third out of uh yokum's three what were the second and third thirds of that warm-up
0: oh yeah yeah the second would be just more outputs so let's say yeah. i and this would be like tennis a lot uh when i would train tennis we'd play basketball for like 20 minutes and sometimes or soccer or whatever sometimes we play volleyball come back in do whatever like the bigger lifts were so your basic squats or hex bar deadlifts or dumbbell bench presses or stuff like that it doesn't have to be complicated or maybe you're doing a sprint like a like a short, your timing short sprints, or you're doing a vertical jump. Anything that's more that, and that stuff is all very relevant because it's either a little bit bigger weights, or it's um, it's something that's time, something that you're marking and improving. And then, and versus, I think a lot of programs that would just really just kind of lift the whole time or do exercises the whole time, you kind of get lost in the minutia of accessories and just warm up exercises that you're not even sure what it's doing for you, and and things like that. And then the last, so just the big rocks, like any. Big rock program, like Dan John Easy Strength or whatever, like just doing two sets of five and a few key lifts. Go hit those. Honestly, you could do those in 10 minutes. And that's totally enough for so many athletes. You don't, honestly, that's like the secret. You don't need more than that. And then the last third is some sort of, that's where you could say it's more of a grind in the traditional sense. Here's uh, Austin would do like a thousand rep challenge, like take a three pound dumbbell and do like a, a thousand. I don't think you have to necessarily go to extremes on that. For me, it might be as simple as finishing with some bodyweight lunge holds as a team or bodyweight push-up holds or just single leg stands, like various bodyweight. And this is if I have a team I like to do, yeah, bodyweight team holds where everyone's doing it together and it can have some level of difficulty to it. I I do think there's a value in those kind of things. And I I tend to do bodyweight holds uh, instead of traditional accessories. I'd rather do that than like, you know, doing a bunch of like kind of weird – like weird core exercises or stuff. Uh, so much in strength and conditioning and the hours just to fill time. And I learned that pretty quick in my early years as a lot of stuff is just, I'm the strength coach and I got an hour. So well we we squatted and we benched and man, we got 30 minutes left. So now what are we gonna do? You know, and just <laughs> let's just fill space with a bunch of stuff. When you think about all the time of your day, well I I think well my my litmus test almost says, well, would an athlete be better off taking a nap do, than doing this? And if the answer is, if the answer is yes, then they shouldn't be there, you know, or, or doing something else, or maybe meditating or visualizing or doing something, you know, that you don't have to versus just a, a very, um, just a very simple exercise like a, just doing like arms or something, which arms isn't bad. I mean, again, in the NBA, you know, you're always on arm duty. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. but. But uh, you know what I'm saying. So it's just what's the value of it?
1: No, for sure. And diving kind of back into that efficiency idea, um, the easy strength or even micro dosing kind of idea is something that I feel like fits in a lot of Hooper's just general um, schedule or it, it seems to go with the sport. So explain a little bit more about Dan John's easy strength. micro dosing whatever you want to call it just kind of dive back into that efficiency less time less stress um and ultimately better results potentially yeah yeah so in the book easy strength uh,
0: i think dan talks about this in the book but it was something like 80 percent. if you're an athlete at least especially say let's say once you've gotten to like high school and you're in a little bit more of a performance world because before high school and even in high school, you should be doing, you shouldn't be doing just one sport all a year. You should be doing something else. And so basically once you are, let's say once I'm, I don't know, I'm 17 or 18 and now I just play basketball. And at that point, 80% of what you do would be basketball or whatever your main sport is. Maybe you do, maybe it's off-season and you do golf, okay? Or, or you know, like Mike, Michael Jordan, right? Like the off-season, they do golf or something else. Maybe I do, um, let's see, off, I'm thinking of off-season sports for basketball. Basketball is the winter. I don't know, maybe I do track or maybe I do soccer or something. You know, you have your sport, your main chunk, your main skill, that's your sport. Then 10% of the time, so 80% is your sport, 10% of your time is lifting or 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 special preparation that helps your sport so some sort of strength training something in that realm and then the other 10 percent would be uh, recovery type stuff which actually that's a lot because think if you're are you gonna like lift for 30 minutes and recover i mean you could that could probably be pretty good a lot of people could probably use 30 minutes but then you also i mean you look at lebron too and how he's made it so long a lot of his investment has been in recovery i do think it might be a little unreasonable to tell a high schooler with a full plate to spend you know 45 minutes a day doing recovery type stuff or whatever, even twi- I mean, anyways, hopefully that but that hopefully that makes sense is that always know that your sport is the big thing. Lifting is always gonna be complementary. And so then with easy strength, a lot of it's just I think it's like pick you could do like three lifts or six lifts. Let's say I do a you know a squat, um, a push, a pull, a press, you know, an ab exercise, a deadlift, something something like the main the main lifts, whatever. Some people have different definitions, but then each of those lifts I'm going to do only 10 reps total, let's just say two sets of five for all of them. And maybe I do one warm-up set or two. It doesn't have to necessarily be a lot. But the key is that nothing is a strain. It's all like you should be able to always walk to the bar and you should not have to emotionally psych yourself up to do that lift. And just even the fact like having to emotionally psych yourself up, you're now putting identity into it. You're putting something, you're like, oh, if if I don't get this, I'm weaker. I got weaker this week. And it also takes more out of your system when you do that. And it takes away from your ability to adapt to your sport, which is the most important thing. So uh, it's it's really big to just be like, look, this isn't my sport. This isn't my identity. Do my sets. And what is found, though, with that and doing it consistently, not so consistently over time, people will get much, much, much stronger. And Dan talks about it like you're pushing up your 80% of your one rep max versus always just being impatient and trying to get that 100 percent and like you said there probably are a lot of basketball players like if the person who's allergic to iron they that's not a big deal for them but i think it's more just understanding the efficiency standpoint especially for people who are tempted to overdo it and those workouts can be i mean literally like we're talking 20 to 30 minutes two to three times a week it's not a big ask and honestly you could even do less like people who are naturally strong in my opinion they could do 15 minutes twice a week and probably be okay. I mean, it could be that little. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of that easy
1: strength mentality. Two, two times a week for 15 minutes is a pretty inviting thing for a lot of Hoobers in the weight room. So <laughs> I'm sure that sounds good to, uh, to a lot of people. So staying in the, in the weight room um, kind of performance realm, one thing that I've really been trying to implement that I actually – heard from one of your podcasts or a couple of them was um the idea of i believe it was the old kind of russian long jump study i could be wrong but it was precision and accuracy and essentially plyometrics versus just output 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 um so you can explain it better than i can dive into a little bit about that study why you think that happened and then ultimately how we can apply that to hoopers in the weight room yeah that's that's a good that's one of my favorite studies because
0: again like i said i think in western culture our tendency tends to be and i've heard strength coaches say that says max intent on everything push it as hard as you can like and then you're jumping of course jump as high as you can and go as and there's this like everything has to be maximal idea which to be honest in the short term can really help with like your muscles ability to maximally fire. But to, in my opinion, that is not a very sustainable practice. Um, just like someone in business who works 100 hour weeks or goes hard, they're going to get burned out. And so that that's one element of it. But so that study, it's so it's such a beautiful study because there was two groups of long jumpers and one group, their their training was every single jump, go as far as you can. So just run as fast as you can, go as far as you can, max distance the other group was instructed to jump at various like hoops or cones that were in the sand. So not every jump was maximal. In fact, it wasn't about the max distance. It was about being precise, doing a precision jump. And to be honest, that's way more like basketball than it is. Um, And that's where track and field are a little bit different, but basketball, it's all it's you never in basketball are just going to jump as high as you can for no reason. Just, I mean, unless you're trying to just dunk and just get up there or touch the top of the backboard or something you're always going to be doing something that meets uh, uh, something that's happening with another player or the ball. It's always driven on that. Anyways, long story short is that at the end, I think it was maybe eight weeks of training, they had the two jump groups um, so you, see how much they improved. And it turned out the group that jumped different distances, not all max actually ended up jumping further. And so I think what that means to me is that the the human body is is really smart. You could say um, Dan, and e- this was an easy strength that I heard this, the book, but it was mentioned it was like schema theory. Like you want to give your brain all these different like instructions, all these different distances, and it'll help it draw out a better program. I kind of view it more though. This is just my opinion, but I view it just as much. I think it's a lot more enjoyable to, to do something that's a target that doesn't like, it's not like, oh man, I didn't jump as far that one. Well, I got to try harder and jump farther this one. And I think we could put the same mentality too, even on the way that we do basketball drills sometimes. I mean, I think it's important, like shooting drills. I think it's important to be like, okay, I, I did, I made more, I made more. But there's also other ways to measure progress, process goals that can, that can take you away from um, like that self-identification. And in the sense of like, you know, what always happens, like you grab a rebound, like the play stopped, you grab on, just chuck it up, the basketball up. And it, how often does that go in when you didn't identify with the result at all? all the time i mean my one like highlight moment in basketball like this made my high school i stopped yeah high school is the end of it but this was like it for me is we were down by one um with a big conference rival and uh, it was like there was like 10 seconds left or something and the coaches are like drawing up plays and they're like i remember very clearly the assistant coach saying all right joel he drew a line in the corner said joel you're going there in the corner basically just stay out of it (laughs) and it's funny and so (laughs) they you know the the play fell apart like even as i'm sitting there watching them drop the play i'm kind of in my mind like kind of (laughs) like i don't know if this is gonna work and i'm just standing there in the corner though the play falls apart they throw it to me in the corner out of desperation and i put up a jump shot and make it you know to to win the game but if i but it's largely because i wasn't there was no pressure like the play wasn't meant for me it was it was just like there was my identity, you know, if I miss it, well, they didn't, I don't know. They didn't, I wasn't the guy that was supposed to shoot it. So who cares? Like, I think we've seen it all the time when we de-identify your body can just do what it's meant to do. And I think that a big part of just drawing up drills and movements and outputs is just be in the moment with, with the target, not the max outcome and identifying with that. Cause every time we set a target, like, let's say I'm doing a long jump and my goal is to jump 21 feet, this jump. And I jump 20 feet six. That I get a hit against myself mentally when I don't do that. And again, not saying we shouldn't challenge ourselves, but I just think there's different ways to do it. And I think that kind of letting the body do its thing and de-identifying lets the body shine more. It lets those skills shine more. If and I think we probably see that in the best athletes. They'll have fun. They're they're willing to have fun. And I don't think they always identify. The good shooters keep shooting. They don't identify with their failures. And I think it all fits in with the same in the same realm
1: yeah no for sure and I've been trying to get crazy creative with that I mean even on the skill side like I have a couple really good shooters who are making 90% of their shots in a workout I'm like all right making a shot isn't enough now so I'm starting to call out like back rim front rim left rim right rim and now they have to hit like a certain part of the rim yeah yeah. Anything conditioning side like we'll be doing I don't know pretty much anything from a Metric sense and I'll call out like a percentage. I'll be like, "All right, you're doing tuck jumps. I'm not just going to have you like 100%, 100%, 100%. I'll be like 60, 30, and now they have to kind of yeah. fine tune that movement." So, and I mean these guys are enjoying the workouts more. You can just see it on their face a lot of the times where they're just more engaged and then with skill acquisition ultimately that variability is uh also a consideration when consider all movement as a skill. Um you know, you learn better when there's variability and there's not much variability when you're doing 100 percent, 100 percent. Oh, yeah. So I think overall, man, it's just you start to see how much more conducive it is to learning skill, but also improving in terms of athleticism, I guess, um, once you start using them. And ultimately, worst case scenario, athletes have more fun with it and that that can't hurt. Um, so kind of scooting over to another topic that I've heard you talk a lot about foot and ankle complex. You hear it all the time. I think it's becoming more popular in basketball circles. Like got to train the foot, got to train the ankle. Um, But I don't think many, even strength and conditioning, but especially skills, coaches know exactly why, let alone how to practically train that foot and ankle complex for a basketball player or for an athlete in general. So go a little bit into why that's so important. Um, but and then even more importantly, how we can practically start to train the foot and ankle. And again, this is a topic that you have essentially a whole book about. Um, so you could go on for days about this, but if you had to wrap it up for the basketball performance slash skills coach from a very practical standpoint, how would you pitch that to them, I guess? Yeah, for
0: sure. Um, so the probably the first order is... Footwear, socks, and what sensations are your, is your foot experiencing? Uh, and I think any basketball, it doesn't matter what type of coach you are, you see it, the clodhopper, right? And well, why are they a clodhopper? Why are they just so heavy on their feet? A lot of it is the body can only activate what it can sense. So if someone's a clodhopper, they probably don't have very good sensation on the bottom of their feet. Uh, there's something like 200,000 nerves, I believe, in each nerve endings in each foot. Of course, it sounds like a lot, but they're all teeny, right? But like, there's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of distribution given to sensation on the feet. And if athletes aren't sensing, they can't activate. What does it mean to activate the feet? That sounds like a fancy word. Activate just means that, in my mind, is you have... Uh, three arches in the feet let's just say there's arches in the bottom of the feet we all have the big one right the arch of your foot i'm flat foot. even flat-footed people still have arches and they can still form that foot into arches i mean the best athletes are oftentimes flat-footed so you can't say that being flat-footed is bad in fact it's the most effective foot as long as those arches can still do subtle little activations down there Um, so the ability of those arches to form a rise become small bridges that's activating If the arches don't activate, the bridge stays flat, and it stays against the ground. It's not a bridge anymore. Not really. I mean, there's flat bridges, but they have domes underneath that hold them up. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, the foot has domes, and those domes are what help us to support massive, massive forces. Every time you step, it's multiple times your body weight. It's you You could say 500 pounds every step it's a dome that supports that. It's not the muscles. It's not like these muscles are just like, Oh, we're just working real hard. It's you wouldn't sustain that. It's this dome system you're stepping on. And so athletes who have been wearing shoes too much of their lives, socks, their parents didn't let them play outside in the playground barefoot or walk outside barefoot. You need to think about like a a tribal person or, or, you know, caveman or whatever, right? Like, they're barefoot, they're stepping on rocks and twigs and little changes in the dirt and their foot is in taking this and it's learning and it's sensing and it's learning to be that dome. And so if we have shoes, socks too early, then we can start to weaken that sensory feedback and we can get feet that are less responsive. And I do tend to see that the athletes who are bad in that level tend to be ones who naturally like just have bigger, clunkier shoes. And it's just this negative feedback loop. So one would just be spend more time, um, barefoot, but not just barefoot, but ideally you have like surfaces to walk on. Right. Um, I have in I have here, uh, like a little, uh, it's like a Chinese acupuncture, mat. It's like just little, like, um, you can walk on it. It's got little like rock type things on it. So you can just walk on that. And it's, but here's the thing. If I spent 18 years to get my feet completely dysfunctional, I'm not going to be able to walk on a mat like a few days and all of a sudden it's better it takes a lot of reps like it's not it's not a slow process so but just every day sometime or just reminding people hey spend more time barefoot try to experience more sensations if it matters to you right hopefully it does um try to spend some time outside barefoot and then so that's and outside of that within the training realm if i get someone in the gym and okay we want to work on your feet now we want to use uh balance balance type discs and there's a stigma against balance in the sense especially in strength and conditioning that well you're not going to get strong doing balance you know you where how can you apply force doing balance and but this is the thing is I everything is balanced watch anyone do a running dunk and watch the way their feet have to come down very precisely anchor on the balls of the feet that that front arch of the foot and blast off of there there's a lot of dynamic balance going on it's all there is always balance so um, it's but it's hard point balance. They're standing on a hard surface. And so I like doing balance work on hard implements, meaning like a set of PVC pipes that's four inches in diameter and about the length of your foot. Can you stand on those? If you cannot stand on four-inch diameter PVC pipes barefoot on uh, like a rubber floor, you're going to have some sort of – you're going to be more liable to have foot issues, lower body issues for one, if you cannot do that. Chances are the arches of your feet don't work very well. And you're not getting as much out of it as you could. So that would be a basic primer is just cut up PVC pipes, do barefoot work. Can you stand on those? And then you can roll on them all sorts of ways. There's videos on how to do that. Like just roll side to side, do calf raises, do squats on them. Um, And I also like circular balance discs where it's kind of, there's like, it's like a circle, like a 12 inch circle, but then there's like a knob on the bottom and it's all hard. It's not soft, soft. Your foot kind of sinks in and then it's more hip. So to really get the foot, and you want those rapid feedbacks. You want to stand on something that's hard and it has some instability that makes your foot uh, reflexively react. Uh, and that's the thing. That's where subconscious. It's not like lifting where you're trying to like think about a little bit the technique and plan it. When it's balance, it's not, you're not in control of how your body is adjusting to balance. And, and in therein, you can really get that firing of all those little intrinsic foot muscles. All those little muscles in your foot will fire up much, much more ideally if you're on something that's that's hard and that can makes you really react fast you won't get that just doing calf raises and uh, calf raises are fine too i mean honestly there was a study um it was an australian ballet study and they studied injury rates in these ballet dancers and they found pretty clearly that if you could do 25 single leg calf raises your chances of getting hurt in the lower leg were way 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 less than if you could not and it was that simple just can you do 25 calf raises or can't you so It's easy to be like, oh, I found the secret of the foot and the arch and all this. And yeah, there is a lot there. But don't discount just basic strength, too. It can be simple. So in my mind, it's spend more time barefoot, spend more time sensing things with your feet to whatever you can get your athletes to do. Maybe you have like a little mat to step on or something or whatever for those athletes who need to, or just step in on different surfaces, do some um, instability work. And actually, you can get two for one. Um, Edith Hoyce, who I've had on my podcast, has PVC pipes that have like little, beads or knobs on them so you could like do two for one there that would be the ultimate is a instability with a little bit of sensation that's coming up and i mean again it's going to take a while like an athlete whose feet are horrible it's probably going to take them a few years to like really get but when they do i mean look at like lebron james it's if anyone's seen his feet everyone's like man that's a messed up foot it's not a messed up foot how could he be have such incredible longevity with feet that are so quote-unquote messed up his feet are actually incredibly um, good at compression. Like they're kind of packed together and the pinky toe is up and the big toe is down. And that's like, when the pinky toe is up, that's actually shows that the arches are really formed up that he's, you can't have that kind of bounce at, you, th- at that height, at that weight, unless you have really, really like domed feet that have a really good dome for springing up off the ground. And so anyways, yeah. And then the calf raises. So sensation, instability, Do single leg calf raises and then spend time just standing barefoot on one foot too as well in different different iterations there. Those are all pretty good ways to really help athletes with foot stuff, people who get any sort of shin issues. And then just being able to connect it and be a little bit quicker, better off the ground and
1: and be more reactive. Love it. So are there any... I don't know, telltale signs, red flags, not red, uh, potential red flags that you see like when an athlete takes off their foot. Like one thing I've noticed is that none of my athletes can split their big toe and their other four toes. Like for whatever reason, it's just not doable, partly because they're in basketball shoes for 18 years. But are there any like just kind of quick little telltale signs of someone who has maybe a foot that doesn't function as well as um, it should be?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's a few things that I look at. Uh, One would be look at the, uh, so look at athletes when they're barefoot. And if you have athletes just spending time barefoot, and the simplest thing is just say, well, let's just lift barefoot. And then you can watch them, because you probably don't want to play basketball barefoot. (laughs) You could, (laughs) but I don't think it'd be a good idea. Uh, Basketball shoes are are designed the way they are for a reason. Even playing in barefoot shoes, like there's minimal shoes you can wear too, but it would not the minimal shoes wouldn't be a very comfortable experience. You know, you yeah. could maybe shoot around in them or something, but that would probably probably be about it. <laughs> uh, any, yeah. Anyways. Um, so yeah, just have time for athletes to spend barefoot so you can watch their feet and just start to notice things. And the big thing I look at is, is toe gripping. So this is a little bit hard to explain on the podcast, uh, but I'll do my best. So if you watch athletes and Uh, Chong Ji, who's been on my show and is just so good with the observation, has noticed this. He calls it the hyperarch mechanism that you'll see in elite athlete's feet. And you tend to see a foot that has a lot of like, the. it looks like it just has tension. Like the tendons on the top of the foot are really prominent. The toes are curled but they're not like hammer toes. And so basically like the toes are curled, but they're not actively like really trying to grab the ground. They're just kind of like the, just the tips of the toes are resting on the ground. And there's this little bit of a claw to the toes that you can see there's tension in those toes. Gripping the toes is I see a lot where athletes have just kind of like flatter toes that don't look like they have a lot of tension. And when an athlete goes to squat or jump, those toes will really clamp down to the ground and they'll like kink in the middle. So that's probably the best I can describe is toes that, toes that are like just, you can see them just grabbing the ground, grabbing at the ground. And when toes grab at the ground, that means usually that the arches of the feet. So think the, the ball, the little toe, the ball, the big toe, or like not your toes, but the pad that sits behind, like that pad that sits behind the toes should be loaded. Like that's where the pressure should be. Not on the toes. The toes are weak. Go try to do like a calf raise, just standing on your toes on the stairs or something. And you... I don't know if you can do it. Like your toes aren't meant to handle that force directly. They're meant to be a bridge. They're meant to bridge and, and to be like a second bridge. They're like a, like David Weck who is been on my podcast talks about a foot within the foot. They're almost like an arch within the arch. You have the big arch of the foot, but then you have the toes are like the mini arch. And if they're a dome, they're reflecting what's happening in the main arch of the foot. If they're gripping and grabbing, then it shows that those arches of the feet, the main arches aren't really working, they aren't really forming. And so just making athletes conscious and aware of that, and is is a helpful tool. And it takes time, like an athlete who's so accustomed to toe gripping, it's gonna, I mean, I, I do a lot of stuff where there's no toes, like I'll say, all right, we're gonna squat or do a single leg squat or lunge where your toes are off of like a plate, I have your stand on a plate, and your toes have to hang off the edge. And now you really have to dial in on what your arch is doing. So just seeing if athletes are toe gripping and then just generally noticing if you have athletes standing on one foot. So just take your shoes off, stand on one foot. Notice, are they tipping to the outside of the foot? Are they tipping to the inside of the foot? Do they have that, that bias? And I'll say one of the things that I see in the level of, especially people who can't transfer force uh, into jumping, like they can squat a lot, but they just can't get up, is those are people who a lot of times the ball, the big toe, So that inside of the, that just behind the big toe, it's always coming up off the ground when they're trying to stand on one leg. It's like, they just can't, they aren't wired to really pronate, which means just basically travel towards that inside edge and pop off it. So those are some things you could look at. Are you toe gripping? Uh, And then if you stand on one leg, what generally happens that you do look solid, like pretty solid, or you're always
1: flipping to one side of the foot or the other. Perfect. Love it. Last big question here. Um, Body weight, ISO holds. Why, what for Hoopers? Um, just kind of give everyone the spiel on that and why they could be so applicable, not only to athletes in general, but specifically the basketball athlete.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I love ISO holds. Um, ISO holds have been around for a long time, like wall sits or whatever. Um, Jay Schrader is a coach out of Arizona who I think has popularized um, taking them into a system where. It's almost like a cross between doing an ice hold, like a wall sit, and then like a yoga, like a stretch range hold. And there's been multiple coaches as well talking about stretch range holds. But the key with the isos is that you're getting into a stretch range. And in that stretch range, I think a lot of good things happen. You're combining a few solid elements. Um, There's elasticity in the stretch range. You can optimize elasticity with loaded stretches you can supposedly, this is, I think, <laughs> muscle length can only change like 10% tops, you know, whatever the muscle fibers are doing, but you can like re-lengthen your muscles. If you're like contracted, like in stress and threat and everything's contracting, you can open it up a little bit more. And then it also offers a really good, uh, it's good for your posture to work in a stretch, body weight stretch loaded position. And then there's just good like muscle dynamics going on. So for example, holding a lunge, so body weight only, I'm gonna get into a lunge position, but I'm instead of a lunge where like the leg bottom leg is bent, like the back leg is straight. It's almost like a yoga pose where everything is really stretched out, and then I'm pulling down into it. So I'm really trying to like drop my hips actively into the bottom of that. I'm not just bracing and resisting, but I'm actually sinking down into it. As you sink down into it, things can lengthen and expand more. It the way I think of it is that it's really good because all the repetitive stuff we do, be it playing basketball or even like lifting too heavy. Let's say we're just lifting too heavy too often. Either anything that's overused can put the body in a more contracted state or even just hard training can can cause a little bit of contraction in the body. So it just helps to open everything back up again. Um, I've found that doing things like that, my favorites are a lunge hold in a stretch position, a push-up hold with handles in a stretch position, um, standing on one leg trying to lift the other leg as high as you can off the ground for time, Spending a fair amount of time doing that in a session has just really plummeted injury rates in my experience in working with athletes. When I traded the standard auxiliary exercises for bodyweight holds, I found athletes got hurt a lot less. And personally, I feel I feel better and faster and mm-hmm. springier doing that stuff too. And I know what my athletes do as well. So that's something that, especially in season, that's such a go-to because it's so simple. Like you think about it, like a basketball player has to do so much complex work there's so much complexity your your moves your teammates the t- the the tactics the plays the defense studying your opponent do you really want to like be throwing in there how do i tweak my olympic lift to be better at that point in time or what are you doing wrong in your squat no like you want to keep the lifting as simple as possible in those times of year i mean sometimes it's fun to like yeah hey, i want to learn to olympic lift better it's the off season cool that's awesome but when you go on play like you got to play and so it's just, it's just body weight. It's super simple. There's literally almost no technique except for just being in a good position, pulling yourself into it, uh, breathing well. And the breathing too is important too, by the way. I'll say that with all the body weight movements or honestly anything you do in the gym, Jay Schrader was big on four seconds through the nose only, four seconds in, eight seconds out. It's that cool, calm. It's like that Iceman state. And I found that doing a lot of isometric holds and really sticking with that breathing where you're really on it, the next day, You'll feel like everything's a little react you're reacting a little bit better. You're reacting a little bit faster. And the reason that is is because um so heart math, I haven't had them on the podcast yet. Some people would say they're a little out there. I do believe I believe in what they do, uh, but they talk about that the heart and the brain actually there there's a synchronization. If if my heart is in a good, like coherent state, I can actually react better and faster. Well, what controls the heart is actually the breath. If my breath is really erratic, like you could just try this, just breathe fast and erratically for a minute you're probably going to be kind of disorganized like try doing that and playing basketball or any sport right you're probably not going to do very well um so if i can keep my yeah. breath on a steady pace four in eight out that's very consistent and every breath is like that my heart will get to a place of higher coherence and more consistency there's there's two just like a basketball rhythm just like a basketball's bouncing and tuning and you find a rhythm same rhythms exist in your body when you're breathing with your breathing your heart your brain Anyways, when the heart's in a good coherence, what they've found uh, out of heart math is that your reaction time is better in sport, that you actually are in a better place to do your sport. So I would try this is try doing a isometric session, go lunge, push up, straight leg hold. There's a few others hang from a bar. That's an isometric and stay on the breathing. Try 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. of that. Total it up. Uh, just it's going to just be straight total time. Step in the gym, start the clock. Did isos, you know, maybe take a minute break between, you know, do it for a minute each leave. Do the breathing, see how you feel the next day in your sport, not just physically, but am I reacting? All this stuff is holistic. Like that's where people in the weight room just leave it at the weight. Did you get stronger? Yeah, you lifted more weight. Cool. Like, I don't like what else did that do for you? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can we get more out of this? How can we get more out of tuning, tuning the body? So I just think isometrics are amazing. I think Jay Strader is on a really good thing with all that. And yeah, people get good results doing th- that type of work. It's a really big part of my program.
1: Amazing, really, really good practical stuff there. so look, man, um Joel, thank you so much for for hopping on. Um, was a blessing to be able to learn from you and have everyone else be able to learn. So um thank you. Feel free now to promote anything that you got. well really, what's i'm I'm more curious anything what's what's next for you? I know you have um, obviously the podcast books have been really, really valuable um but what's next for you in terms of business life career whatever direction you want to take it
0: yeah sure thanks for asking because it's it's actually kind of a not a transition point but it's a point where for people listening depending with the stuff I have I've written books and have like an online course and stuff like that it's it's very it's a little bit more in the in it's very detailed so in the sense like if you're really into sets and reps and exercises I have some stuff for that I where I'm where I'm headed is I want to get a lot more into uh, like just branching out like holistically in sport. I, I have a book I'm going to write in the foot, but after that I, I want to do a book that talks about like the full spectrum of what makes an athlete, not just strength and skill, but all, what does it mean to learn? What does it mean to learn a skill? Mental, emotional stuff. Cause that's massive. I mean, you will only get as far as you are good and can attune to your mental, emotional states in terms of consistency and ability. Um, so, and I think that so much in sport is, we we take such a, not everybody, but I think as a general whole, we tend to look at sport from a very uh, left brain perspective, which is right hand, which is very like numbers, data, do it this way, like that kind of thing. And yes, that you could call that the fundamentals. There's an element of that. But there's also the all the free flowing, the fun, the creativity, the art, the artistry, the mentality, like that's all right brain left, left hand stuff, if you will and you're never going to get your not just the best being the best you can be but also having the best experience unless you can do all those things and combine and understand all those things and say man where am i falling short on this and so that's like the next big book project that i want to do well you know it always takes me a long time to do that stuff but that's on the horizon doing more videos and things like that uh, yeah people can catch up my podcast if you'd like uh, it's on a lot of this stuff just fly performance podcast or uh, catch me on Instagram, just fly sports. So uh yeah, it's trying to do more video in 2022. That's a goal of mine. And and just trying to really like um expand, always as, as always expand my mind and just get on to new things that are helping athletes.
1: Cool. Well I I will be the first one to have both those books in my hands. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate all the knowledge both on here and and elsewhere. Um it's been amazing having you on and thanks for being the first one to uh resume the podcast. So I'm excited to get this out. Yeah, thanks for asking me, Coleman. It was great being here today.
0: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.